Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. This episode of Podcasts, it's brought to you by Lexington Antique Restoration. Lexington Antique Restoration offers rare and unique services caring for your antiques, family heirlooms, and American memorabilia. Lexington Antique Restoration will also specialize in custom orders, bringing your dreams into reality. Lexington Antique Restoration is located in Lexington at 371 United Court, just off Athens Boonesboro Road. You can contact them 859-619-8891 or online at toolstroke.com. Also too, you can like Lexington Antique Restoration on Facebook and contact them now for a free estimate on your next project and tell them your friends at oscarcombs.com sent you. Oscar, it's Kentucky and Kansas, and here's a rivalry in which the roots run really deep beyond the basketball court. Almost the beginning of college basketball, in a sense. It started in 1950, and of course, we know Kentucky basketball is over 100 years old. But for these two great institutions that were brought together in 1950, going back to the Adolph Rupp days as a student and player at Kansas, it was only natural that they would soon come together. And with the arrival of Kentucky's first two national championships in 1948 and 49, there was a, fr- a proud papa out in Kansas by the name of Dr. Force Fogg Allen, who was considered one of, if not the greatest coaches in the country at the time. And he coached Adolph Rupp from 1919 to 1923. At the same time, uh, there was a guy by the name of Dr. James Naismith, the founder of all of basketball in our country, that was a teacher at Kansas. So Adolph was being taught during the day by Dr. Naismith and being taught on the court in the afternoon by Dr. Fog Allen. You couldn't ask for a better situation for Coach Rupp, could you? No, you couldn't. And, of course, after that, he went and coached a few years at a high school in Freeport, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And then came straight to the University of Kentucky. And when he came here, and I believe it was 1930, and immediately started building a powerhouse here, he won the two national titles, so much so that they could no longer fit the fans in 2,800-seat alumni gym. And they built a new coliseum. It was called a White Elephant because it seated 12,000 people. And Coach Rupp decided, hey, what better way to showcase this off and have Kansas come here and be our opening opponent. Well, Dr. Allen liked it because he liked Adolph. But he said, hey, Adolph, you're a kid. I'm no dummy. I'm not going to open that arena with you. I'll come play. <laughs> but you're going to play a couple games early. 12,000 people in Memorial Coliseum, but I think the attendance was more like 13,000. And they found a way to get another 1,000 in. It was the fourth game of the new Memorial Coliseum. And what had happened over the previous year, in 1949, they had pl- had won the title. So in 50 and 51, there was a guy here by the name of Bill Spivey. 
And people in this part of the country thought he was the greatest sinner that had ever come along. Was pretty good. But there was a sinner also in Kansas by the name of Clyde Lavelli who had a great NBA career. So there was this ongoing war of words between the coaches of the two schools and the media. Who was best? And guess what? They got to Clyde in that game in December of 1950. And Clyde was only held to 10 points. Bill was, Spivey held Clyde to 10 points. That is correct. And and Rupp was a, had a little P.T. Barnum in him. He liked to sort of Joyce. And you got to remember, now, Rupp was a young guy at this mm-hmm. time. So what happened? They played at the end of the game. Kentucky won going away 68-39. to 39. So with 13 minutes to go in the game, Clyde Lavelli fouls out. And as he's walking off the court, Coach Rupp immediately replaces Bill Spivey. And now, why is and that? That's, and let's not put him back in the rest of the game. And after the game, the media said, uh, Coach Rupp, why did you take Spivey out? <laughs> there was still 13 minutes to go in the game. He said, I just wanted to make sure that there was no misunderstanding. I wanted to make sure he played no more time than Clyde Lavelle. And he is what he is. He had 22. Clyde Lavelle had 10. They call this the battle of the skyscrapers. Clearly, we know Bill Spivey won that. But this first game against Kansas, what what was the media? Well, what was the fan base like back then? I mean, was this uh, kind of pumped your chest out and beat beat the drum a little bit? Well, Kentucky beat Kansas. Adolph Rupp, student well, beat Well, first of all, teacher. it's their first game. So, it didn't have the significance that first night that the history built upon it as the years gone by. Mm. But it was big from back in the in the forties and fifties, college basketball was big in places like Chicago and New York. And Kentucky and Kansas got publicity for their games even when they weren't playing there. So you had all your annual magazines that were geared around the elite clubs in America. Your elite clubs in America, Kentucky, Kansas, CCNY, Boston College. I mean nobody had heard of anybody else in the SEC or even in the Midwest. So it was built up between these two giants. Now, later it comes out that Spivey does not get to enjoy his pro career because he was implicated in the scandal. Mm-hmm. You know, But for Kentucky, it was the beginning of this tremendous rivalry that would have a little sabbatical for a few years because immediately after the game, Dr. Allen has sort of maybe in his own way felt embarrassed that he was – beaten so easily by his pupil. So he immediately wanted to return game to Lawrence. And Coach Rupp finally said, okay, but not right now. So finally they agreed to play a second game. And that second game was in 1956. And by the time uh, that game rolled around, I should say 1959, not 56. By the time that game rolled around, Dr. Allen had retired at Kansas. And Rupp went out and beat Kansas in December of 1959, 77-72 in overtime. As it turns out, Coach Rupp played four games against Kansas, and, of course, he was 4-0 undefeated uh, in those four games. I want to go back to Joby Hall's, the podcast we did with Joby Hall, and what he said about the relationship between Coach Rupp and Coach Allen. Well, uh, it was in the 60s, or no, it wasn't in the 60s. It was, I think it was in 71, uh, thereabouts. He went out to Kansas with Coach Rupp, and they went and visited Dr. Allen while he was still living. And he said he was just mesmerized by the respect that Coach Rupp had for Coach Allen in Kansas and said he was like 
a little boy at the altar when he was sitting there listening to the two of them talk. And then they went and played that game in Allen Fieldhouse. And I have to agree with Coach Hall on this. If you have a bucket list of college basketball arenas you want to visit in your lifetime, Allen Fieldhouse has to be on it. To me, you have Rupp, you have Memorial Coliseum, you have Alumni Gym. But the two others outside those uh, that I would put on my list, probably three, you got to include Freedom Hall. But Allen Fieldhouse and the Palestria in Philadelphia, there's nothing like them. They're sort of glorified high school gyms from the Depression. All wooden buildings. You go to a game at Kansas, and I've been to several there in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. You walk in, it doesn't look like there's going to be a college basketball game there. The way it's built, and it's been upgraded several times, but the way it was in the 70s, you walk in there, and the fans are there are just good old boys, just average <laughs> fans. It's almost like high school basketball. Well, what else are you going to do in Kansas? Well, you know, there's, there's been a movie, a movie or two made about what else you do in Kansas. <laughs> but the thing is, is when you go there, you got fans that are farmers, uh, I didn't see too many in the 70s and 80s. It's different now a little bit. But say, you'd go in there, you'd see farmers that come right out of the cornfields. They still had their boots on, have a little mud on their shoes, have their sh- uh, shirt sleeves rolled up. And they'd get there two hours before the game, and they would get into it. And you talk about intimidation. You were intimidated when you, you went in there. But by the same token, when you went there and you won, there was no greater feeling in the world. Well, and I've had friends that have gone out to Lawrence, Kansas and watch a game in the fog. We know media folks that talk about it. People get chills when they do that starting lineup and that big foghorn sounds and there's fog everywhere and everything. People get chills because of the history of that place. And, and that was, you know, Dr. Allen had the greatest run there of all. That was a remarkable thing with the Joe B. Hall career there. Joe B. Hall lost his first game that he played in at Allen Fieldhouse. He never lost another one. In his 13 years at Kentucky, he was 12-1 against Kansas. Now, I'm going to tell you, 12-1 against Kansas is like somebody coming and playing Kentucky and going 12-1 against them. And there were the, I mean, it finally got to the point the last four or five years of the Joe B.R. era is Kansas fans just dreaded having to play that. But it was in, it was in there, and it held so true. So in the 70s and 80s, in particular, and from the mid-60s, you had Notre Dame, you had Kansas, you had Indiana. Those were the two rivalries. Now those sort of have gone the other way. And what happens, you have changing coaches, and coaches want to create their own identity. And sometimes they leave some of these traditions behind. You talk about Coach Hall having a 12-1 and record against Kansas. 71, 72, 73, year after year, Coach Hall and the Kentucky Wildcats are playing Kansas. Well, the, the only loss he had was in 1973. It was at Kansas. Kentucky was ranked 10th, Kansas 13th, and he lost 71 to 63. And then he got on a run the very next year. They played at Freedom Hall, and, and there were four or five of those games that were played at Freedom Hall on the Kentucky end. And in 1974, now this was the, the year, if you remember, the infamous Bobby Knight tap on the back of the head in that same month up in Bloomington. 
But when Kansas came there and played on December the 23rd, which was after the IU game and after the North Carolina game, Kentucky won 163. Kentucky was rated 20th, Kansas 18th. Uh, throughout most of this time, uh, both schools were – were ranked at the times they played. Yeah, uh, throughout the 70s, you're talking about that game. Uh, 73, Kentucky was number 10. Kansas was 13. Uh, go back to 71, Kentucky was 10. Kansas was four. A couple of close scores uh, well, throughout there. With They kept within 10 or 11 points of each other. One, one, of, the, one of the big games, of course, uh, in the Joe B. Hall era was the one in 1976 when they opened Rupp Arena, December the 11th. It wasn't the first game of the year. Uh, Wisconsin was the first game that opened up Rupp. And, again, they wanted Kansas to be that one. And Ted Owen said, hey, I'll play. I'm not going to open it with you. He'd learn from Dr. Allen. So they play, and I think it was the third or fourth game of the season. And at the time, Kentucky was ranked number four and Kansas unranked. And they won that game 90-63. to I'll never forget before the game – Ted Owens had all of his players to line up and go down and greet and shake the hand of Rupp before the game, which was – there was so much great sportsmanship between those two programs up until one of the last games that we'll talk about later on. Classy move there. Let's talk about the atmosphere of Rupp that day. Obviously, a year before my time, because the best I can tell you what I remember is multicolored seats in Rupp Arena <laughs> – at the time. Some orange. Some orange, yeah. What was the atmosphere like for this game? Oh, it, it by then the rivalry had really gotten heated up, you know, because Ted Owens had done a great job too. And so it, it was all built up to hype. National television was there for that game. And they brought out a a light blue. The only criticism that night of anything, they brought out this easy chair, this easy fold out chair, and put it where Rupp would sit behind the bench at midcourt. Because he was not in the best of health at the time. So he had this picture, and it was baby blue Carolina. Oh. The color of the chair. Oh. That's the one thing I remember most about that. I never knew that. And and I remember Coach Rupp saying to a person that was just sitting next to him, can't they see any better than this? <laughs> and I can see Coach Rupp saying that right now. Why not a brown chair? What was the brown chair at? That would have made sense. Also, too, about that game, I always thought this was kind of unique in the uh, memorabilia world. Guess who was on that program for that game? I Coach Rupp. That Coach Rupp was it was on. Coach Rupp. And that's a high-dollar program on eBay, if you know yes, what I'm sir. talking about. So, yeah, Kentucky ended up winning that game at the Rupp Arena dedication, 92-63. So, the following year in 1977, we started off with this and talked about how the roots run really deep in this rivalry between Kentucky and Kansas. And uh, it kind of came full circle that weekend when uh, Kentucky went out to Kansas. Yeah, I remember getting being on the charter that night when we left. We had heard that. Coach Rupp was in very poor health in the hospital. Might not make it through the weekend. And as we were flying out there, they got a report that he might not make it through the night. So he passed away that weekend. Uh, as I remember it, they uh, they made a mention of his situation before the game there at, at Allen Field House. Kentucky won. We came back home with a heavy heart after that game. And then the next week, South Carolina came to town. And the coach of South Carolina was an old, old friend of Adolph Rupp. His name was Frank McGuire, who was a great coach at both 
not just South Carolina, but before that, North Carolina. And I'll never forget, uh, Coach McGuire came over to the funeral uh, the uh, early part of that week when Coach Rupp was buried. The following year, Kansas comes to Kentucky. This game goes into overtime, but uh, there was a timeout mishap. Yeah, Kansas just actually outplayed Kentucky most of the game. And Kentucky missed some opportunities, and it was down to around uh, less than two minutes to go of the game, and there was no three-point shot. Kansas had a commanding lead, and people were just filing out of the arena left and right. Then all of a sudden, caught fire. Uh, Kyle Macy caught fire, hit a free throw or two, and uh, turned the ball over, Kansas did. And then Darnell Valentine forgot that they had no timeouts left. He called a timeout, and this was just a little bit after Ted Owens had got a technical foul for complaining from the sideline. Now, was this toward the end of regulation or in overtime? This was toward the end of regulation. Okay. And the technical foul on Valentine is what sent it into overtime. And then once it went into overtime, uh, Kentucky ended up winning 67 to 66. Darnell Valentine for Kansas, 27 points, but he's going to be remembered for that timeout he didn't have there were many many years the kansas fans always went back to that timeout they didn't have and you know there have been other famous uh timeouts called over the years since then that cost teams oh yeah i think they were michigan is that Hmm. michigan yeah mr weber mr weber still don't get a good interview from him about that time period sometimes (laughs) let me ask you joby hall 12 and 1 how did he do it well you know and most coaches that coach a decade or more whatever they run up against certain teams that they coach really well against, have good success, and there's other teams that they just can't beat. And this was one team – this was the one team that Joe B. Hall owned in 13 years. I mean, 13-year career and you're 12-1, and one, only thing can beat that's 13-0. and 0. Uh, But, but you know, I've, I've chatted with him many times in the podcast we did recently. He says he thinks what really happened on that is that he flew out with the team, Coach Rupp, when he was assistant one year, and they visited Dr. Allen before he had passed away, and he said he was just mesmerized by the respect the two had for each other and how suddenly Coach Rupp in that visit with Dr. Allen became a kid again and how he just worshipped everything that Dr. Allen and Kansas had done for him coming up through college and becoming a coach. And he said he just it, it just suddenly at that point in time, Kansas became – a more meaningful game to him each year out of the respect and tradition of Kansas and what it meant to coach her up and ultimately Kentucky basketball. And I think what's unique about that story is that's something that we don't hear about nowadays. No, you know, one, once that – people took for granted beating Kansas a lot. It, it probably was more uh, astonishing to national basketball friends outside Kentucky than it was here in Kentucky. But – with the way Joe approached that game. And, of course, that was big because, you know, you didn't have a bunch of cupcakes in your non-conference schedules before 1990. And when you were playing Kansas each year, you were playing Notre Dame each year, you were playing Indiana each year, you were playing sometimes uh, Ohio State and people like that, Purdue. Uh, Those are big games. And – you know, we went through the period of talking about January slump sometimes during Joe B. Hall's era, and the reason is it was sort of a downer going into the SEC. 
you could, your players would get excited for Notre Dame or for Indiana or for Kansas. And then suddenly you go play Ole Miss at Ole Miss. Boy, that's a what, – what we call that today, you know, when you go down, you know, is this one of these trap games? Mm-hmm. But there was no trap games with Kansas. And I think that was a big thing for Joe B because it was a big thing. And there's one other thing that we shouldn't forget. When you walked into Allen Fieldhouse, there would never be an empty seat. I would say not. Of course, I think every game on ESPN at 9 o'clock is a trap game. I don't care who the teams are. Well, I don't care who they are. It's a trap game. Yes. <laughs> Here's something interesting I found going through all of our uh, notes and, and researching this. From 1950 up until 1999, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Kentucky and Kansas never met in the tournament. Am I wrong on that? I think, well, let's see. Where am I right? You are absolutely right on that. Never met in a tournament. And it seems like in the last 15 or 20 games, most of them have been in a tournament. Yeah. Yeah. That. But now we got to remember, though, when you when you go between 1950 and up to about 1990, you weren't playing 68 teams in a tournament. And you were paired always in a different bracket. Through most of that era, Kentucky was in the so-called Mideast Regional and Kansas in the Midwest Regional or and then later Southeast Regional and Midwest Regional. And you stayed at home automatically as a conference champion. For many years, you only allowed your champion from a conference to go to the tournament. And then you were a period of years, you were allowed to have two teams to go. And, of course, now it's the more the merrier. Joe B. leaves with a record of 12-1 and against Kansas. And Eddie Sutton, he takes on the Kansas Jayhawks. And uh, he lost that game. But uh, that was a top-10 matchup in yes. Eddie's career. And, and that was the only game that Eddie Sutton played. By then, they had started to drop the series. And the only game he played uh, at the time, uh, Kentucky was ranked number nine and Kansas was number seven. And it was at Kansas. And that's when Kentucky started having their trouble at Kansas. I mean, uh, if you go out there in the uh, mid-'80s, there was nobody more excited in 1985 when Joe Hall announced his retirement at Kentucky. <laughs> they threw a parade for him down Main Street. Let's talk about it as much as we don't want to. Um, Patino's first year in that you know, brutal, brutal game in Lawrence, Kansas. You know, you know, I will have to say in retrospect, that's one of the more memorable road games that I ever attended. Maybe the most memorable in one respect. Because going out there, you knew that Kentucky had absolutely no change. Uh, It's just that Kansas was ranked number two in the country. May have been the best team at that time. And and Kentucky actually, early or midway in the first time, hit a bunch of threes, and it was competitive at one point. But you knew it was Foo's goal. Mm -hmm. And by halftime, Kansas had put 80 points on the board. I, I forget the actual score, but it was 80 to something. At 80 half, to 61 at halftime. At halftime. And Patino was making a joke out of it. His way, way was, I'm not going to let them really enjoy it. I'm just going to make go out and just run up and down the court and at the end of the game say we were just having fun. But what happened near the end of that game is it got a little bit testy. And and I can't say that, that Rick was totally wrong or that uh, Roy Williams was totally right. But near the end of the game, there was a break. And, of course, I don't remember the exact score, but it was well over 100. And at one point, there's a ball that goes out of bound. And Kentucky has just looked awful the previous eight or ten minutes. 
and Roy comes up about halfway to the court, and I'm going to gesture here and throw my arms apart like this. And it's like, what do you want me to do? And supposedly, Kentucky was out of timeouts by then. So Roy said, you want me to call a timeout to give you guys a breather? And Rick delivered one of those famous Italian phrases. <laughs> and Roy just turned and said, go get them, guys. Because Kentucky was pressing all over the floor. Mm-hmm. And Roy was basically saying, if you don't press, I'll pull it out, you know, slow it down. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I'm, I'm convinced, and I was convinced coming back home the next day from that trip, that all that Rick was doing from the halftime on was setting up Roy and Kansas for the return trip the next year. At any point, before we get into that return trip, at any point was the mindset of, well, Rick got destroyed at Kansas. He's not the man for the job, or we better give him a chance. What was what was the mindset there? No, no, that was, that was the year, you know, that uh, they, they were thir- uh, 500. I think it was 13-13. At that time, going into it, it was one of those uh, deals where Kentucky was prohibited from playing in the postseason, even in the SEC tournament. So Rick wanted the players playing as long as they could. So he sort of circumvented a rule by scheduling the season ended like on a Saturday or Sunday for the SEC tournament, and then nobody played to the tournament. So he took one more game and pulled it out of the regular season and put it up on like a Tuesday of the week. You couldn't play a game once the tournament started other than the tournament. Mm-hmm. But since he was on probation and couldn't go to the tournament, he could play up until the day before the tournament started. So he actually played is either Monday or Tuesday night. He went to Notre Dame. And Kentucky was actually one game over 500, you know. And they lost that game to Notre Dame and finished 500. And so I think at that point in time, People weren't upset because they didn't think they'd win eight games that year. They were playing well at home. I don't think they won a road game the whole year in the conference. And uh, but people were just excited because they were playing. They were they were quickly becoming Patino's Bombinos. And just to piggyback on what you just said there about Patino's Bombinos, they threw up forty three point shots. Yes. At Kansas that yes. night. I think Derek Miller had a a, a big night that night. Derek Miller, eight of nineteen uh, from the three line, thirty-two points that night. Yeah, and and can you imagine if you'd taken those thirty-two from Kentucky's score and still it being a hundred and fifty to what was it? Ninety-five. Ninety-five. It'd been one hundred and fifty to sixty, almost a hundred points. And you think, okay, scoring ninety-five in Kansas, that's got to be pretty good. Until you look Until at what you they scored lose by fifty-five points. Well, let's talk about the return trip. Well. The return trip the next year, Kansas was unrated. And Kentucky, although they were on probation going to no tournament, were having a really, really good year. Uh, And uh, Kentucky was ready for them. Uh, December the 8th, 1990, I mean, when Kentucky came out, which was my wife's birthday, by the way, uh, they came out, they were just on fire, 88 to 71. And about 10 minutes into that game, you knew, you sort of looked and you said, you know, I bet Rick was chuckling last night when he was putting the game plan together. <laughs> Rick Patino was one and one against Kansas. Yeah, and there was and there was talk at that time that uh, they were wanting to renew the series, and Rick wanted no part of that. 
Yeah, there, there's an eight-year layoff between 1990, 1998, obviously, between uh, Patino and Tubby. And Tubby ended up playing Kansas in the uh, grade eight in Chicago, December 1st, 1998. Well, and, and that was a TV deal. That wasn't a home-and-home. Home. That, uh, that was put together for uh, uh, ESPN. And then the next game uh, with uh, Tubby, was in the NCAA Mid-East Regional in New Orleans. And then they finally got together for a two-year series. And I think it would have been extended, but at the end of two years in January of 06 is when Tubby left Kentucky and in come Billy Clyde. And Tubby had lost, let me get this right here, Tubby had lost, uh, I believe, three games against Yeah, he Kansas. was two and three. Yeah, and, and of course uh, his uh, – Last game in 2007 was actually not a regular season game. It was against number two Kansas, and it was in the uh, NCAA West Regional second round in Chicago, uh, 88 to 76. And that turned out, I believe, to be Tubby's last game as head coach of Kentucky. Randolph Morris, 22 points. Bobby Perry, 21 points. Uh, you had a few scores on that team, but it just wasn't enough for Kentucky to beat Kansas. Now we get into uh, the Cal era against Kansas and what's uh, kind of unique about Calipari coaching against Kansas is that he got started in Kansas. Actually, he got started at Kansas uh, at the same time. The last year Joe B was at Kentucky in '85, and he was with Larry Brown out there. He actually his first year I think was with Ted Owens, and then he stayed on when Larry Brown came. And his wife Ellen was a Kansas grad. Met her. I think working in the athletics department mm -hmm. when he was a grad assistant. And uh, she wouldn't give him the time of day the way he tells it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, things get fun here uh, with Calipari and Kansas. And uh, they first squared off in November of 2011. K uh, Kentucky was number two, Kansas number 12. And that was the Champions Classic in New York. Yeah, that was that was right at the time that, you know, this was Cal's um, third year at Kentucky. And by that time, Cal had come up with the idea of having this super – four-team doubleheader, call it the Champions Classic. He floated the idea around among different people. Uh, he got on board a couple of coaches, uh, Tom Izzo, Coach K, and Bill Self, and he sort of sold them on the idea, this is a good thing early in the season. I, I wasn't really that much in line for it, particularly when Cal was doing all these one-and-dones and everything, because you know you're not ready in the first, second, third week of the season. But it worked out real well for him and the other coaches, and now it's become a staple, so much so that in addition to that, they've got a CVS doubleheader now that they're involved with, and these have become the big games. It's really great for TV. It's great if you're sitting home and watching it, but it's not so much fun for the season ticket holders that have to watch it on TV instead of getting to go to Rupp or places like that. You mentioned this, and Shades of the Big Four Classic kind of creep yes. into my mind a little yes. bit. Uh, that, 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 that was really a tremendous ideal back when that started in the, I guess, the uh, the 80s. And uh, Notre Dame was really good then. I mean, Dicker had them. He couldn't ever win the big one, but he always had them in the top ten, and he had great players there. Indiana was very good. Kentucky was very good, you know. And at that time – um, it just, you know, was the thing to do 
particularly when they had the RCA on them. My dad and I made a few of those trips up there, and I have a few sweatshirts that don't fit anymore. <laughs> Uh, tucked away somewhere. Well, Cal's first game against Kansas, he ends up winning 75-65. to 65, And lo and behold, four months later, guess what? We're playing Kansas in the national championship game. Yeah, and, and, and that those two teams, or those two games that year, there was just a confidence level that I've seen in very few Kentucky games. And it sort of reminded me of the Joe B. Hall days of playing Kansas. You just, you just felt like Kentucky – not only was a superior team, but they would find a way not to lose. Or looking at different, they were going to find a way to win. And neither of those games, there was any great amount of doubt in my mind from the day before it, during it, until the end of it. I'm glad there was no doubt in your mind because I had issues. I was nervous, sweaty palms. How much fun was that? Oh, I mean, I mean, uh, again, it brought back memories of the good old days. Yeah. And I still think that that is a serious – it's not going to happen as long as they've got Champions Classic now because you're already playing once every three years. But uh, in a way, I'd like to see some way to be able to get a Kansas-Kentucky, a Kentucky-Notre Dame, or a Kentucky-Indian I know it's not going to happen because of seating purposes and ranking purposes, but it still doesn't mean I don't want it. As that game progressed, the doubt starts going out of my mind. And then I'm starting to feel a little bit confident. I like to throw this stat out to folks. Anthony Davis, one of the top players in the NBA, guess how many points he only had that night? Six. Guess how many rebounds he had? 16. Yeah, Anthony was He's one of the very few players that you can say that's supposed to be a scorer but is very happy with the outcome of the game as long as they win. And he was always – I mean, even he hadn't had any rebounds. His block shock against North Carolina in December of their championship year. Awesome. I mean, that was the game. Yeah. And and North Carolina was coming back strong that night. Yeah. But that, if he doesn't get that block, it goes in Kentucky's beat. We've talked about this before. You, you talk about a guy who will be remembered for winning a national championship. Everything that he'd done – at his career in Kentucky, and yet he's going to be remembered for that block shot. Yes, sir. Um, also, to the block shots in the national championship game, six from Anthony Davis. Yes. Kentucky and Kansas again, 2014, November 2014, again in the Champions Classic. I felt like late in the first time, just lit up. This ain't going to be good. This mm-hmm. is an embarrassment. This early in the season, and it was an embarrassment. And, you know, I won't say it was a difference in the game, but – I think if they'd been a little bit closer game, the next year Kentucky may have not lost in Lawrence. But there was a, it's sort of like the UCLA situation, you know, last two years. Um, when Kentucky had demortalized UCLA in that same game the year before, the revenge factor was in just like it was with Rick Pitino and the 150 to 95 loss. Kentucky just annihilated Kansas and then – we, we didn't go back to schedule them, but guess what? The SEC Big 12 Challenge comes along, and you know from the get-go that Kansas ain't oh, going to yeah. play nobody but Kentucky, mm-hmm. and Kentucky's going to play nobody. And they went to, and Kentucky played an awesome game last year, went mm-hmm. to overtime. Uh, shouldn't have gone to overtime. Kansas was definitely the better game, better team at that point in time. But Kentucky played as hard as they could play, and uh, that leads us up. So guess what? I believe Kentucky and Kansas at Rupp Arena on Saturday. Game day. Game day is going to be here early. It's going to 
tip off at 615. Uh, they have been promoting this game for two weeks now, they being ESPN. I think it's going to be a tremendous game, and it's a very important game, probably more important to Kentucky than it is to Kansas. Kansas has got a couple, three teams in the Big 12 to help them for seeding purposes as they play later on. Let us not forget, you know, by the time we get ready to air this, there will be an important game played on Tuesday that we don't know about right now and that is Kansas at West Virginia. And depending on how that comes, game comes in, I'm sort of hopeful that Kansas emerges from that as a winner because I think it would be a lot more exciting Saturday night for Kentucky and Kansas to be playing on an uptick mm-hmm. rather than coming off a loss. Right. You know, when we release this, our listeners will know who won that game. We don't right now. But it's going to be a tremendous atmosphere. It's going to be probably – one of the top two or three games the rest of the season. Totally agree with you on that. It better be, well, let's just say Kentucky better win. I paid $150 for a ticket. <laughs> well, me, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, you know, uh, uh, what, what we've got coming up this weekend is Kentucky doesn't have the luxury of playing a, another top ten team the rest of the year. In fact, if, if Florida got on a real roll, Florida might get up somewhere around 12 or 14 in the rankings, or probably no higher than that. South Carolina, both of them are still ranked in the top 25. But all the marbles are on the line. If Kentucky loses this game, they could they could literally just about run the table and maybe not get a one seed because they're not going to get a lot of credit for beating it. What would be best for Kentucky, win or lose Saturday night, would be for Florida and South Carolina going to run, mm-hmm. particularly South Carolina. Kentucky doesn't play them again. That win would mean an awful lot. Then if Florida got on a run and say they only lost a couple more games and those two would be into – at least one of them be into Kentucky, that would help them. But this game, Saturday night, is the one. Kentucky wins this game, they're pro- they're going to they're gonna be somewhere between one and three the rest of the year probably. If Kentucky beat UCLA and Louisville, could they afford to drop this one? If they had lost to one of them, yes. But the problem in losing to Louisville and UCLA on the road is is better than losing one at home. So you got to protect your home turf. Absolutely. Well, Oscar, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. I've got to get a prediction from you. Well, you know, I, I think this is a game that both teams will want to show a good fast pace probably be a high-scoring game. I I just don't think that the crowd is going to let Kentucky lose this game. Particularly, we don't know at this point in time, De'Aaron Fox's condition. Uh, But I'm going to count on him being healthy. And I I think it's going to be a game probably – I think it's going to be probably about a four- or five-point game. I'll say 88 to 84 Kentucky. I like it. I'll see you at Rupp on Saturday night. For more memories with Oscar, including our podcast series and conversations with Oscar Combs, you can access that through oscarcombs.com. Our podcasts and conversations with Oscar Combs is available through iTunes and the Google Play Store. It's easy. Just search at Wildcat News and subscribe for new episodes to automatically download into your personal device. I'm Bo Robinson thanking you for listening to our podcasts as we continue to celebrate 50 years of Wildcat memories with Oscar Combs. And as always, go Big Blue.